Welcome to Holy Fools and the Soul of Craftwork. I am Jesse Joyner. I'm Steve Gross. And if you're new to the podcast, Jesse and I are both PhDs in education and people of faith with a curiosity about craft learning and practice as a means of spiritual formation. In this episode, we consider the craft of beekeeping. And for it, we welcome Master Beekeeper Paul Knight to our show. Welcome to Holy Fools, Paul. Hey, I love the idea of Holy Fools. Uh, I, that that's one of the things that uh, inspires me in ministry, right? And eh, probably as a beekeeper too, because you'd have to be kind of foolish to do it the way I do it. But uh, I love that title. Yeah. So Paul, tell us about yourself. I've known you for some decades. And today, this morning, when I was fighting a colony of yellow jackets right outside of our patio, I was thinking about you. But so tell us about yourself and the work you do. Now, the technical technical term is apiarist. Then we're talking about yeah apiarist yeah okay so tell us about it so i started beekeeping in 2014 uh we had a lady come to our church who's a professional beekeeper she lives in texas summers in north dakota uh north dakota is the largest producer of honey in the united states and so that fits this environment i didn't know that when i started i just thought oh this lady's kind of cool she keeps bees and so i went out to uh watch what she did got stung immediately when I stepped on her property and stepped out towards the beehive and it hurt. And so I started thinking about that and working on that and talking with her about it, went home, decided this is pretty cool. So I bought a book and two hives and a suit. And I thought in the spring, I'm going to keep bees. And I absolutely love it. I have a little, uh, little shelf in the marketplace here in town and I, I sell my honey, but mostly it's about the fun of making it. Actually, I don't make it the bees do, but harvesting it from them, right? Matter of fact, our city started an ordinance uh, where they wanted to. So I keep my bees in the backyard of different people's homes. So uh, our city, the idea of beekeeping, right? Our city wanted to make an ordinance that we had to keep our bees in a fence. And so I called them and I said, you know, that's not a thing. And they said, what do you mean? We do, And I said, well, bees aren't going to stay behind the fence. No bee fences? Yeah, I don't, I don't tame them. I just work with them, but it, it but it, it's the philosophy a little bit that like, I don't tame the bees. I don't uh, make them do things they don't want to do. I work with them in the harvesting of their honey. And mm -hmm. so I'm a beekeeper, not a keeper of bees. So there's probably something in that, right? You're just, uh, you're curating their opportunity. Yeah. 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 They make more honey than they can eat or use. And so, uh, unlike the bee movie, the bees don't mind if you eliminate some of their honey. They'll they'll react. They'll sting you if they can, but they make more than they can use. The queen lives four to five, six years. The workers live about six weeks, as I mentioned. They all eat the same stuff. They all do it, and it's they select the queen. The only difference is the royal jelly that a, a queen cell receives from the uh, feeding bees. The royal jelly for a natural bee or a regular bee, it, they're fed royal jelly for like a couple days. And the queen, I believe, receives royal jelly for like five or six days. And the difference is those couple days and she'll live four to five years. They will live about six weeks. So whatever that royal jelly is, I want some. Sell the royal jelly, Paul. Yeah, they do. They do actually in the Orient, in the Asian cup countries. I don't, I don't know how to get it. <laughs> it's the fountain of youth. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Or, or maybe is, just having uh, 60,000 servants serve you also makes you live longer. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. 
my question for you is like, what keeps you coming back into this story of the life of bees? Like what, what, what draws you into this? Why do you do it day after day? A handful of things. One is to be really honest. I love the interaction with the people that buy my honey. And uh, in a, in a kind of a fun way, when they say, this is the best honey we've ever had. I love that. Right. And I get to serve people that way by providing that. Uh, I love the interaction with just the bees. Uh, for me, I'm kind of a high energy uh, type A person and uh, have a, uh, my normal uh, career is I'm a pastor and have a fairly large church for our area. It's not large compared to other churches in the world, but uh, there's a lot of activity. And when I work with my bees, I have to rev down and ratchet down because when I move fast, it hurts because they sting me because then I get sloppy. And so this forces me to move slow, to think about what I'm doing, to uh, take a moment and enjoy it. And so that's that's part of it as well. And then just the the amazingness of watching the bees like sit in my backyard with my feet up against the hive and realize they're not stinging me because they're not being threatened. And they are doing this amazing thing. A, a bee will fly like three to five miles a day come back to the exact same spot they took off all of this fascinating thing and for me it's like uh i don't think this happens by accident i think this is god's design yeah yeah and you you already answered my next question which was you know telling me about the the sense of purpose that you feel when you get suited up to do this yeah. work so like say say more about that purpose that that you're serving others you even said like by bringing the the honey to people but what's what's that sense of purpose like inside when you're doing this work? There's a handful of things about that. Uh, you referred to it is the FDA. The, I there's a stat something like every third bite of food that we take is somehow influenced by bees or pollinators. Yeah. Wow! Right, and there's a crisis in the world right now. It's a bee collapse syndrome or colony collapse syndrome, and that's that bees are dying by the hordes. And so part of me feels like I'm helping do that that's like eight hives that's not a big deal but it's just part of that interaction with the world and opportunity to do that uh i i have a, a grandson and a, and two granddaughters my granddaughters haven't helped me yet my grandson has uh my niece's son helps me sometimes and there's a couple of college students and just uh working with them to show them but there's something about that uh that sense of being a part of something that is really cool and being able to provide uh for people in this area who suffer from allergies, local honey is a great aller allergy fighter. And because all of the pollens are built into the honey by the bees, they all of that's in there. And so doses of honey, they say, I can't scientifically prove that, but doses of honey helps reduce their impact for allergies and things like that. How about this, Paul? So um, you've talked about a little bit about the impact. So one of the things about craft work is it's a tangible practice that actually produces something. So you have bottles of honey that you have and you market those and you talk to the people who appreciate it and it's better than Walmart honey. It's more oh, expensive than oh, Walmart honey. Oh yeah. Way more expensive, way better. Okay. So talk about that. Like the importance of doing something that produces something tangible that you can see impact for you. Why is that important? So a lot of what I do, I don't see a completion, right? And uh, at the end of the season, when I go out and take the frames out of the boxes, uncap them, put them in my spinner and filter the honey lightly and then bottle it, 
that's a completed product. Oftentimes bespoke work like craft beekeeping is learned best shoulder to shoulder. So do you have a community of practice and what does that look like? So my coach is named Christy. And she's the one who I first observed beekeeping with. And I have called her. Matter of fact, she takes my bees to Texas every winter. And then they go to California and pollinate. That's really where the money is for beekeepers. I'm not into that part. So she does this as a favor to me. She brings back bees and stuff. But she's my coach when I, when I have a question. But uh, she coaches me on when to put extra boxes on if I'm behind, if she notices that my boxes are behind in uh, getting an extra sh load of shelves or boxes. And uh, then uh, we have a couple friends in church that have started beekeeping uh, along with me, uh, transferring that interest. And I've, the kid across the street also, I've had an opportunity to take him with me and do some conversation on the way. He also doesn't have a father uh, present in his life. And just that opportunity to hang with a kid and to listen to them talk from the side seat in the truck on the way to the beekeeping and then watching them learn how to... Uh, handle the hives and to do something that's not instinctive to slow down and to kind of be careful with the bees and then to collect the honey and then to throw them a couple bottles of honey and some cash. And that's kind of fun. How about this? So I think maybe a popular conception of a craft worker is oftentimes the person working alone in their wood shop. It's very quiet. They're um, kind of in their own island and not that that's not true to some extent, but yours is a shared practice. How do you think your own faith and work integration, your own kind of thinking has actually been helped by the fact that you do a shared practice in this craft of beekeeping? So there's very little I do in my life where I'm not thinking about my relationship with Christ and how that's going to impact whoever I'm standing next to or with. And so I look at this, like when I'm bottling the honey if when I'm uh, collecting the honey, when I'm working with the bees out in the yard and I have a kid with me or a colleague, uh, it's just always opportunity to build relationship. And for me, because I'm a pastor, there's certain times where that title inhibits relationship as a beekeeper. Uh, they, they all know I'm a pastor, but it, their guard is down when I'm wearing a bee suit. Paul, this is the Holy Fools podcast. So tell us what's foolish about beekeeping, the craft of beekeeping that a lot of people maybe they don't know about or understand. So what's foolish about beekeeping? Well, for me, do, do you in the in the uh, show notes, do you have a picture of my stings, my swollen head? Did I send it? Yes, we'll put it in there. Yeah, for that's sure. foolish, right? That I continue to put myself in that kind of pain. For the sake of this thing. So uh, in all honesty, that that is one of the things that I think is actually hilarious because it is very painful. And I have some uh, crazy stories of my inexperience, which also leads to, so, so all of the mistakes that I make, all of the inexperience that I experience leads to learning. And so I didn't know how to beekeep when I started to beekeep. And so in the process of learning and doing, I make mistakes and I learn and I make mistakes and I learn and I make mistakes and I learn. And that's like the picture of life, right? That is discipleship. It, it's falling, getting up, falling, getting up, falling and getting up. One of, one of my favorite stories, there was probably 15, 20,000 bees stuck in the peak of my garage. I had been harvesting honey in my garage the first two or three years. 
I didn't know how to get all the bees off the frames. So I brought way too many into my garage, closed the garage door, and they'd be flying all over inside my garage. I would get stung. So then uh, at night, I would open up the garage door. The bees would leave, but they didn't have any place to go because I'd removed them from their neighborhood of where they always went to. So they congregated in the peak of my garage. So the next morning I got up, I was wearing a long sleeve shirt, uh, untucked, got on the ladder, took a broom and knocked the bees off the peak without thinking I'm on a ladder and that the bees were directly above my head. So I knocked 30,000 bees onto my head. A bunch of them went down my shirt. I went to run, but I was on a ladder. <laughs> so when I went to run, it was really like incredibly painful because I dropped and rolled and crushed bees, which then sends out a pheromone to the other bees that something's killing them. And so they react and they attack. Right. And so I ran into the house, stripped off my shirt and Bonnie, my lovely wife, starts pushing me outside because I brought in a bunch of bees. And I said, Bonnie, they're stinging me. And so the foolishness of that is the learning experience that creates wisdom. Right. And uh, I am absolutely convinced that if I only do what I know how to do, life is way less enjoyable. And so stepping into something where you may look like a fool or may look foolish actually develops us into something that's beautiful in God's eyes. Yeah, the Holy Fool's podcast i love that name and the foolishness of trying something you don't know how to do is actually really wise and brilliant but you may look silly in the moment that's a core question you know craft practice really centers upon the idea of educative failure and yeah. you've seen that you know yeah okay the next question is a flip side not failure but flow sometimes a craft worker they'll talk about being in flow while doing work and that's when time seems to fly by. You're just focused in. Things come together. There's a productivity there. Um, have you experienced that flow in your work as an apiarist? Yeah. The the flow or the sense of like this, I'm in a zone, will often come most often for me in those moments, either after I've already been visiting with somebody, like harvesting the honey or getting the honey or working the bees. And I get home and I realize, ah, oh, that was an amazing conversation that we had. Like I didn't realize it at first. And so uh, you're in it, you're, you're going through it. And then like to pause in my driveway or my garage after I've let the kid, you know, brought the kid home or something and just thank God for that. And you realize, oh, I was in the flow, but I didn't realize it. Like God was working in that moment and it was beautiful. And I was just walking along doing what I normally do and, and loving Christ, loving the kid next to me and realizing that God was using that moment. Paul, I, I want to hear more about that. You're, you're walking right into my next question. It's how has beekeeping helped form you in your own personal faith? And you're answering it already with what you're talking about. And you've alluded to it already in, in this whole talk. Say more. Like, what, what are some other ways that your own personal faith is formed and shaped in the process of beekeeping? One piece of that for me is the amazement of creation, right? That, uh, just the way God has designed a bee, they do so much instinctively. Like, I, I don't know if you, you know this, when, when the bees first go out to look for where the nectar is, they'll come back to the hive and they'll sit on the outside of the hive and they do what's called a waggle dance. Nobody's been able to figure out what they mean or how there's no like specific language that we understand, but they understand it. And so the bees will, will then go to where the nectar is. It can be three miles away. And those bees have somehow communicated the GPS coordinates of where that honey is that to me is, is stunning 
and uh, amazing. And so I, I look at that and, and I watch my bees every morning out my bedroom window and they fly up in the same direction and then they go to where they're going. And that that's built into them. And we, we can figure out all kinds of reasons for that. But to me, that's like the design of God. It's, it's great. So that, that so faith formation for me, it's this ongoing walk of being present with the Lord and learning how to do that, which to be honest, is is not my natural instinct. My natural instinct is to go. And so for me to learn to ratchet back, that has been very important. And when I don't ratchet back or when I don't rev down while I'm doing this, it's not good because <laughs> I move too fast. I get stung and it hurts. And so there's some the, life lessons there for sure. <laughs> yeah. And the beauty of being in the moment with the Lord, uh, it's just the quiet is beautiful. So some might say that bringing one's faith to bear on any vocation, any type of work is itself a nuanced craft practice. What would you say to that? The idea of marrying your faith and your work well, whatever that work might be itself is craft practice. What would you say? So that's a great question. Uh, I've been pondering this lately. Uh, a young school teacher walked up to me the other day and asked me, you know, is there any way we can get together with other teachers who are followers of Christ and figure out how to bring Jesus into our classroom without getting fired? And uh, I thought that was a great question, right? Because that's what we're all called to do, right? That we're all called, like, I don't want to, I don't want to live with boxes, right? I don't want to have a recreational box. I don't want to have a, a work box, a family box, a secret box. I want all my boxes to be in my Jesus box. So I want my whole life in relation with Christ. And so the idea of whatever we do as an act of worship, and I don't always think like that, but I want to think like that. And so that that's the way I want to live. And I, I don't, I don't want to just like have a moment of beekeeping and Jesus. I want to be with Christ in my relation with him, wherever I am and whatever I'm doing. How about this, Paul? So if you were to sit down with a new beekeeper, for example, what advice would you give them about being a faithful beekeeper? Show basics. Like this is a frame. This is the box. This is how you put them on. This is the order that you do things. That's so that. And then plan on getting stung. It's a great advice right there. Expectations. Yeah. You're going to get stung. And it's the same in ministry, right? You know that as a pastor uh, or working with people at all, you're going to get hurt. And you have to figure out how to deal with that. Mm -hmm. That's that's actually, again, one of those things that like uh, when we're hurt as pastors or or Christ followers, there's something about that that is also beautiful because Christ suffered, right? And he uses all of those things to develop us and to train us. Like I can withstand uh, much more criticism today than I used to be able to. It's not because I think I'm getting harder. It's, I think, I hope it's because I'm getting wiser, right? That I realized that hurt people hurt, right? And so there's always a, a reason that, uh, I can be careful with how I respond in wisdom, even though it is real hurt for me, I don't have to hurt back and I can help someone still process through something. I, I have a follow-up question. This is all really good stuff, Paul. But one thing you said earlier caught my attention, and I'd like to hear you say more, more about it uh, as we wrap up. But you talked about how the bees make more than they need, yeah. uh, like like the honey. 
and and it just it just causes me to reflect on the idea of abundance and and uh, gratuitousness in a good way, like in the sense of generosity, generosity, abundance. Like, what? How do you reflect on that aspect of bees? How they make more honey than they need? I'm going to do this right now because I don't know that I've thought like that about this. Right? Is that the bee? I mean, obviously, they. I've thought about it because I, if I took enough, too much away, they die in the winter. Right. So if you leave enough for the bees, like I can be greedy and take all of the bees supplies for their winter, or I can be cautious and take what I need, leave what they need. And there's still enough for everybody. Right. There's a stewardship of that, that uh, because they're making more than they need, they're providing for something else. Hmm. Right? And uh, that I get to steward that and I get to curate that and use that and uh, give it or sell it to people. And then I'm taught to leave enough for them as well. And so, I don't know, that's maybe God's design or a picture, because I think almost all of us in America make more than we need mm -hmm. in most venues, right? And uh, there's a picture that take enough what you need, but the rest of that, it, theoretically, if it all belongs to God and he invites me to keep some to take care of my own needs. So how do you want me to do with the rest? What do you want me to do with the rest? And that's, that's actually beautiful. I hadn't thought about that mm. in reference to the honey. Mm. So thank you for that. <laughs> I can't believe you haven't used that for an you're illustration welcome. yet, Paul. That's I will now. It'll, it'll, yeah. <laughs> no, you're, you're welcome. That was, that just spurred my attention when you, when you said it. Yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you, Paul. I appreciate your, your insight and your faithfulness over a long period of time to steward your your numerous crafts, including beekeeping. And so I appreciate and if it. I, and if I could interject, I'm sorry, but I have to say your this this whole interview, Paul, and everything you gave us was just unbelievable. <laughs> oh, that's dirty. That's, that's a dirty that, pun. That 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 should go in the notes right there. Or just like <laughs> that'll go in the end. <laughs> so thank you paul so on the next episode of holy fools we'll drill down into some of the learning concepts and research to consider how something like the craft of beekeeping might inform our own faithful work every day so until next time thank you blessings This episode of The Soul of Craftwork is brought to you by the Roaring Fork Fellows Program. Are you a 19 through 29 year old interested in starting well in your career with a strong faith and work foundation? The Roaring Fork Fellows Program is a nine month internship for young adults located between Aspen and Vail in the Roaring Fork Valley of Colorado. For more information, go to roaringforkfellows.com.